Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. So today I want to start a new series called The Bible Doesn't Say That because I hear a lot of Christians say, well, somewhere in the Bible or the Bible says this or the Bible says that. And uh, while the majority of the time it's true, there are erroneous beliefs. There are incorrect beliefs about God and Christianity that have infiltrated not just our life, but even the church. And, and, and the, these beliefs are usually um, expressed in a form of a phrase, uh, a phrase, I'm sorry. And it's a, it's a phrase that actually contradicts what the Bible teaches. And over the next few weeks, I want us to look at these phrases. And these phrases express a belief. And we're going to look at the fact that the Bible doesn't say that. And then we're going to look at what the, what the Bible actually does say. So we're going to start today. And you may have heard this one, especially if you had a religious background. Um, and you can fill this out. Don't put it in the screen yet because I know somebody will know it. God helps those who what? Help themselves. Help themselves. Have you ever heard that? If you've ever heard that, would you raise your hand? Okay. If, you, if you've ever said that, I know it's kind of vulnerable, but would you raise your hand? Like, yeah, God helps those who helped themselves. Now, there isn't a verse in the Bible with that phrase. That's not a verse in the Bible. And I know what some of you guys may be saying, but, but pastor, isn't it kind of true though? Isn't it, isn't it true that doesn't God want us to do our part and then he's going to do his part? Doesn't God um, require a certain responsibility, a certain action on our behalf? And then he kind of takes over. Somebody said that a miracle is when we do our part and then let God do his. But we're going to let Jesus answer that question. But let me tell you the danger behind this phrase, okay? The, the danger behind this belief is, is, is an issue of priorities and selflessness. The problem or the danger behind this phrase, behind this belief, is that, that, that there is there's priorities and there is an issue of selfishness or lack of selflessness. And that's the problem. Think about that quote. Think about the quote. Would you guys put the quote on the screen? God helps those who help themselves. Question. Who is the priority in this belief? You, me, we are, not God. And it is a selfish belief because it focuses on us and not on God. And here's, here's really what it's saying. Whatever I want to do, God is going to help me do it. So God works for me. God is going to do whatever I want him to do. Now, this phrase, this phrase resonates with us. It resonates with people because 
it addresses an essential question in our life. It really does. And that essential question, usually when we say this, we say it in the context of, of meeting our needs. I just like, help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. So go get a job. Go start a business, whatever it is. Because inside of all of us, there's that essential uh, question of what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And where am I going to live? So it resonates with us, but it's wrong. So let's let Jesus answer that essential question. What would Jesus say? Because he actually did say something right there in your outlines in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, this, this, this part of the Bible is actually part of the Sermon of the Mount. Um, if you've never read the Sermon of the Mount, it is one of the most beautiful preachings of Jesus or teachings of Jesus. And I would encourage you to read it. Uh, but we're going to take a portion of it and look at what he says as he's speaking in the Sermon of the Mount. And the Sermon of the Mount is so beautiful because it addresses so many issues. Okay, And amongst those issues, Jesus addresses the question of our worries. Our concern over the essentials of life. And look at what he says. Look at what he says. That is why I tell you. This is Jesus speaking, okay? Look at what he says. Worry a little bit about everyday life. A little bit of worry is not bad, right? I've heard people also say that. Like, don't worry a whole lot, but, but you need to worry a little. He says, that's why I tell you. Not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at Jesus ordering our priorities. He says, isn't your body more important than what you wear? Don't be worried about what you're going to wear. Be grateful that you have a body. That you're alive. Right? And then he gives some examples. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father, what? Feeds them. And look at this. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Those of you that love pets, people are more important to Jesus than pets. I'm sorry. Amen. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, okay? Doesn't mean you can't love pets. Can all your worries, this is so awesome, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares, this is so awesome, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And this is so awesome. The next thing is like, why do you have so little faith? So worry and faith are at opposite ends. Did you know that? Yeah. If you worry, you can't believe. And if you believe, you shouldn't worry. Verse 31, this is so awesome. For those of us that are Christian, this is, this is so awesome. Look at what he says. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Did you know 
that anxiety is the mark of a life occupied by materialism? Anxiety is the mark of a life that is occupied and overwhelmed by materialism. Let's continue reading. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So what should we do, Jesus? Okay, good. We shouldn't worry. It's hard not to, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't worry because God cares about us, because God loves us. So what should we do, Jesus? What should we do? Jesus is so awesome. He always answers. Verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above what? All else. Another version says, seek the kingdom of God first and live righteously. And look at this. This is so awesome. This is the part you want. And he will give you everything you need. Now, this scripture, this scripture really um, is almost opposite of what our culture teaches or, or what we believe in our culture. Because in our culture, especially in America, we idolize self-sufficiency. That is what what most people are striving for, to be self-sufficient, to not have to need others, to not have to need anyone, to be able to meet all your needs on your own, to take care of yourself first. Who's number one in your life? We are. I am. Who do you wake up thinking of? You. Right? And the focus, the focus in our culture is, is on us and what we need. But did you know that God's plan is exactly the opposite of that? And the key is past, the key of this passage is in verse 33. And Jesus says in the passage, do not look after yourself. Look first above all else for God. He says, God. And, and, and he gives us a promise, right? He says, if you put God first, if you put God first, he will meet all your needs. This passage is connected to Psalms 23.1. Did you know that? In Psalms 23.1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. What comes first, shepherd or Lord? Because God is the one who controls my life, God is the one who meets my needs. And Jesus said, when you seek the kingdom first, when you put God first, he will meet your needs. So let me correct that phrase, and you can fill this out in your outline. Who does God help? Well, God helps those who make him first. God doesn't help those that help themselves. That's not in the Bible. What Jesus taught is that God helps those who make God first. Now, now, did you know that you can come to church and you can sing about God being number one and you can say God is number one and God not be number one? Happens all the time. It's happening today. There's some of us, there's some of us who sang about God being number one in our life, and he's really not. And we need to change that. Because Jesus said that our focus should be 
on God, on making God your highest priority, not yourself. I know that's really hard, but you should not be your highest priority. God should be your highest priority. Here's why. Because when you make God your highest priority, he's going to take care of you. And let me tell you something. No one can take care of you like God can, including you. So it's not a loose situation. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, I want to talk to you about making God your priority. But more than making God your priority, I want to talk to you about how to keep God as your priority. Because we can make God our priority. You know when we usually do that? When we're in trouble. Then there isn't enough services for us to go to. All right? When we're in trouble, when we're in need, when we've tried everything else and nothing has been able to solve our dilemma, then God is all we have. And then we can, it's easy, right? It's easy when, when, when you know, your, your marriage is about to fall apart to say, God, God, I need you. God, I need you. It's easy when, when you have a loved one who's, who, who, who's maybe in the hospital to, to pray every day and think of God every day. But what about when things are going well? Or what about when things are going normal? So putting God first is easier. But the key is not in putting God first, is in keeping God first. Because I guarantee you, and I almost did this, but, but I said, no, no, it's get too cheesy. I almost asked you to list your top five priorities. And I knew that about 98% of you were going to say God, family, and work. That's what the paper would look like, right? I know you guys are serious. That's what the paper would look like, right? God, family, and work. But what would your life truly say? Work, family, Dodgers, Raiders, Rams, whatever it is, your pets, right? Even your mother-in-law. And then somewhere down there, never, there isn't something fun to do, God. So I want to talk to you about how to keep God first, how to keep God first. Is that cool? Can we do that? Number one, how to keep God first. Number one, fill this out in your outlines. To keep God first. Okay, you ready? This is going to be the hardest one. You got to put yourself last. If God is going to stay in first place, you have to be last. God cannot be first as long as you are first. I want to show you what the majority of us do with God. Is that cool? I want to show you this picture. Look at this picture. My, my, my kids love this. My kids love this. Have you ever seen those, those shopping carts that have a, a car for the kids to drive? They love it. They love it. Whenever we go to the mall, they always want us to get one. Um, and as I was thinking of this, um, I thought, I was like, man, that so exemplifies um, the way we go about our relationship with Jesus most of the time or with God most of the time, right? Because my daughters will sit in the front and they'll act like they're driving, right? And they're even honking at people because they've gotten that from me. I'm sorry, you know? Um, they're driving. 
But who's really driving? It's not in the front. It's in the back. And most of us, especially if you like country, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) But the problem is that the wheel on our cart really has no control. And we say, well, you know, God is in control of my life. And when God says, hey, I want you to go love on that person, you say, nope, I'm too busy. And when God says, hey, I want you to serve in the gifting that I gave you, nope, I'm too insecure. And until God is first in our lives, until we get out of the way and become less, God will not be first in our lives. And by the way, God is very clear about that in the Bible. I'll show you two verses right there in your outline. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life. Anybody here receive the new life of Jesus? Okay. Anybody here is grateful that God changed our life and, and now we're not headed for destruction. Now we're not addicts. Now we're not hopeless. Now we're not miserable. Now we're not headed for destruction because we have the new life that Jesus bought at the cross for us. Anybody here grateful for the new life? Awesome, awesome. All right, well, here's what Jesus has got to say to you. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, you ready for this? will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for who? For Christ, who died and was raised for them. You know what's one of my favorite descriptions um, of the followers of Jesus? Slaves. Especially James, the half-brother of Jesus. He identifies himself as a bond slave, as a slave of Jesus. Question, who do slaves live for? Master. And if you and I have been bought at a price, we are his possession, he is our master, and who should we live for? Our master. One more verse, one more verse. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his followers, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must what? Forget about himself. He must take up his cross and what? Follow me. Do you live? Do you live like Jesus is supposed to follow you? Jesus, here's what I'm doing. Can you bless it? Jesus, here's what I want. Would you give it to me? It's not Jesus who's supposed to follow us around and make things nice. It's us who's supposed to follow him. Now, I don't know if you caught the point, but you may be wondering, well, why last and not second? Here's why. Because it's God first, others second, and you last. I know it just got hard, huh? (laughs) Really? Really, Pastor? Like, why can't I just be second? Forget other people. No. How? We talked about that last week. Jesus said, Jesus said, love God and love people. Look at what the Apostle Paul tells us um, 
in Philippians 2 verses 1 and then 3 and 4. Look at this. Are you strong because you belong to Christ? Does his love comfort you? And all of us would answer yes. Then he goes on to say, nothing should be done because of pride or thinking about yourself. Think of other people as more important than who? Do not always be thinking about your own plans only. Be happy to know what other people are what? Are doing. Now, putting ourselves last is something we have to learn to do. Because from the moment we woke up, from the moment we were giving birth, the world has revolved around us. Right? Nathan cries and Lorena's got to run and feed him. He cries and we got to run and change his diaper. Right? And the world revolves around him. Um, a couple of weeks back, Manolo preached a sermon up here called, You Gotta Grow Up. Did you know that part of growing up is understanding that the world doesn't revolve around you? That your life as a Christian is not about you, but it is about him? Amen. And keeping him first means we gotta be last. That we love God and that we're mindful of others. Now, I'm not saying you don't care for yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not saying that you don't only live for yourself. That there's times and occasions where you say, okay, it's not what I want. It's what God wants, and it's what others need. And we need to do that. Amen? Number two, to keep God first, you got to live through the lens of eternity. you got to live through the lens of eternity. Okay, fill that out because I want to ask you a, a, a question. How often do you think about heaven and eternity? How often do you think about life after this life? Question. How many of your daily decisions and actions are made with eternity in mind? How many of your decisions every day, how many of your yearly plans are with eternity in mind? Did you know that we should be thinking about eternity? That's what Paul tells us we ought to do. Colossians 3.2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why should we have eternity in mind? Well, really simple. Philippians 3.20 tells us that we are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. And you know why we don't keep Jesus first? Because we forget about eternity. If we were mindful and if we lived our life through the lens of eternity, we know that the only way to eternity is through Jesus and we would make Jesus the priority in our life. But we forget and we get so caught up about the mortgage. We get so caught up about our business. We get so caught up with the activities of the kids that we forget about eternity. And it's easy to take Jesus off of the first place. Look at what he says. Look at what Philippians 3.20 says. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ, what? Lives. Look at this next part. And we are eagerly waiting for him to what? To return. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Or are we more eager about the the things of our life? About the commitments of our everyday? 
See, to keep, to keep God in first place, we have to live through the lens of eternity. I want to tell you a story, then I want to read you a verse. There's a story that says that a master asked a servant to take two big jugs of water from one village to the other. That was his task. That was his purpose. And that this servant, as he was going from one town to the next, as he was walking on the road, he saw beautiful stones, shiny stones. And he thought to himself, you know, I could probably sell these stones. These stones are worth something. I could probably put a few of them in my pocket. And when I get to the town, I can sell them. And as he went through the road, he saw more and more and more beautiful stones. His pockets began to fill with those shiny stones to the point where it weighted on him. It was so weighty that he began to complain about the buckets of water or the jars of water. You know what he ended up doing? He emptied the water to be able to put stones into the jars. Because he thought these, these stones got to be worth something. And there's so many of them, I'm going to be rich. When he got to the town, he found out that those stones were worthless. And that they were ordinary stones. And the reason there were so many of them is that they had no value. He thought then about his master and about the, the appointment that his master had given him. And how he had missed it. And that's you and me. Is it possible that we will get to heaven and bring to God and say, look at all these stones. And God will say, but that's not what I asked you to do. I wasn't concerned about the size of your house. I wasn't concerned what year your car was. I wasn't concerned how, how many countries you got to see. I gave you a mission and you missed it. Look at this verse. In case you think the Bible doesn't say that. 1 Corinthians 3.13-15 through 15 says the following. It says, but on judgment day, father, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive what? A reward. But if the work is burned up, the fire will suffer. The builder will suffer what? A great loss. The builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of what? Think about this. We will stand before Jesus not to be judged, but to be rewarded. And what we did while we were alive will be put to the test. How much of what you're doing, how much of the way you're living will bring rewards in eternity and not only here on earth? You want to keep God first? You got to live through the lens of eternity. Number three. Number three, how do we keep God first? You got to be practical. You got to be practical, right? We would all say that God is number one, but we have to be practical. 
We have to learn to do what we say. Look, look, look at what James says in James 2.14. My friends, what good is it? What good is it for, for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions what? So James would say, what good is it for us to say that God is number one if our life doesn't attest to that? What good is it for us to sing about God being number one where our lives do not reflect that? What good is it to teach our kids that God should be number one if he's not number one in our house? And James says, that's useless. It's useless. Right? Faith without works is useless. So our actions need to match what we believe. Our life needs to match what we sing. Now, here's the thing about that. It's not a, a thing where you come to the altar and, and you have such a, 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 a moment with Jesus where suddenly everything is in place. No. You got to train yourself to put God first. You have to learn to put God first. In fact, that's, that's what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, train yourself to what? To be godly. And that's the problem that most of us, we want it to be kind of like this um, instant thing that, that just happens in our, in our life. And no, 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 no. You have to work your way there. You have to learn to put yourself last and put God first. And the Bible calls that training for godliness. So I want to give you three areas, three really practical areas where I believe you can start practicing putting and keeping God first. Is that good? Amen. Number one, first very practical area, okay? Because if I tell you and if we talk about putting God first, but we don't actually do it, James says, what's the point? Right? So number one, a practical way that you can honor God and keep God first is in your choice of entertainment. Is in your choice of entertainment. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a good show, a good movie. We in our house, we're big movie watchers, huge movie watchers. We enjoy movies uh, because we have three kids. We watch a lot of cartoons, but that's our life right now. There's nothing wrong with a good uh, TV show. There's nothing wrong with a great book. But here's the question that we must ask. Does it honor God? Does it honor God? And you may be wondering, is God really interested in what I'm watching? Yes. Parents, do you care about what your kids watch? You better. And God, being a loving father, cares. When was the last time? Questions, just questions of reflection. No, not, not, not condemnation, just reflection. When was the last time you paid attention to how much sex and violence are in the movies and shows you watch? When was the last time you paid attention? When was the last time you paid attention to the lyrics of the songs that you play in your car? Do you, do you, Do you really think it honors God when we spend hours and hours watching shows that glorify premarital sex, crude humor, revenge, and selfishness? Do we think it honors God? Do you think it's good for us? Do you think it helps your relationship with God to be watching so much junk? One practical way you can keep God 
first and honor him is to ask, through my choice of entertainment, does it honor God? Does it honor God? Number two. Another way that you can be practical and keep God first and honor him is to go to him when you're going to make big decisions. Whenever you have to make big decisions, go to God. Whenever you have to make a big decision, what's your process? What's your process for making big decisions? Just go with the feeling. I hope that's not it because the mal can give you a feeling and sushi can give you a different one. Do you go and ask your mama or your dad what they would do? Do you share it with your spouse? How do you make big decisions? I want to share with you today, just because you came, one of the things that Lorraine and I have always done, and um, somebody showed me this a while back, and it was the perfect way of illustrating it. I want to show you today how we go about discovering God's will for our life. And God's will for our life is huge. We don't make big decisions without being clear about God's will. God, what do you want? God, is this what you want? And a lot of people struggle. Well, how can I know God's will? I'm going to show you today. I'm going to help you. Okay, you better take notes of this. So here it is. I'm going to show you through some illustrations. Can we go to the first slide? So the story says that there was a boat that needed to leave the New York Harbor. But that night was so foggy that the crew told the captain, Captain, how are we going to be able to go to our destination if we can't see anything? And the captain said, oh, we can still go. Go to the next slide. He said, because there's three lights. And those three lights are going to help us know When we are on the right destination. So we are going to go. Go to the next slide. We are going to go to those lights. Until those lights become one light. So you keep going. We're going to keep going. Until those three lights become one light. Now. I know you're smart people. But when is it that three lights become one light? When they align. Right? He says, when those three light, lights align, then we will know that we're on the right path. Let me suggest that when those three lights align, that's when you're going to be in God's will. Now, what are those three lights? Let's go to the next slide. The first light, we're going to call it X. The second light, we're going to call it Y. And the third light, we're going to call it Z. Okay? Why? I got to do this illustration. I like those letters. Okay? The first light is... What does God tell you when you pray and when you read the Bible? Whatever it is, you're wanting to know the will of God. When you go in prayer and when you go to study the word of God, what is God telling you? If God isn't telling you anything, don't even move on. Okay? The second light is wise, godly counsel. You got to tell somebody. You got to share it with other godly, wise people and say, here's what I think God is asking me to do, or here's what I think I need to do. Um, would you speak into my life? And the last one 
is circumstances. Now, go to the next slide, guys. When X equals Y equals Z, that's God's will. If you're going to prayer and you're reading your Bible and, God, and you hear God saying, go or quit already or move on or stay, then you have to say, well, what about the godly people in my life? What are they saying? And if it matches what God is already telling you, then you can move on to the next one, which is circumstances, and say, is it the right circumstances? And because God also speaks through circumstances. And there's wisdom in considering your circumstances. Okay? Now, when all those three align, you can, you can have the certainty that it's God's will. Let me give you another equation. Next one. When X equals Y or Z, but it doesn't equal Z or Y. In other words, when you only have two of the three, what God is most likely saying is wait. He may not be saying no, but he may be saying wait. And listen, as children of God, as people of God, as people who have been bought by God, we need to know and move by God's will. Jesus was the perfect model of this. He said, I do what the Father tells me to do. I go where the Father sends me to go. And if Jesus needed the direction of God, how much more don't you and I need the direction of God? Now, if these lights don't line up, stay where you are because that's what God's will is. When these lights don't line up, keep doing what you're doing because that's where God wants you. And until God gives you the green light, God's will is for you to do what he last told you to do and to be where God last told you to be. Now, can I complain a little bit as a pastor? I have two minutes. Most Christians don't really consider this. You know how we make decisions? In our anger. In our resentment. In our bitterness. With our feelings. Oh, I'm not going back. They didn't shake my hand. So what? If God puts you there, do not let a dumb shake of hand rob you from what God wants to do in your life. If people criticize you, so what? They criticize Jesus. Do not let somebody who is not accountable for what God asked you to do to rob you from doing what God placed you to do. We honor God. We keep God when we seek his will. And then last one, very last one. Last one is your schedule. You honor God. You keep God first in your schedule. It's very practical. Okay. Question. I'm just going to. Because we're at church, but, and I don't have enough time. But When Sunday morning rolls around, are you eager to come to church or is it a, is it a struggle? Come on, Let me tell you, because if it's a struggle, God may not be first. Okay? Listen, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing. I'm, I'm just being practical, right? If we have time to take our kids to four activities... If we have time to binge watch, if we have time to be on social media, 
but we don't have time or energy to connect with God and come to church, we may not be honoring God like we should. It's practical. It's practical. Now, I know this is tough. I know this is tough. I'm with you. I'm with you. I struggle with that too. I have the same temptations you have. But here's the promise. God helps. And I would even change that. God takes care of those who put him first. And nobody can take care of you and me like our daddy in heaven can. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.